things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> The NBA Finals are over. That means the basketball season, 2022-23, has come to an end. The Denver Nuggets are the defending NBA champions. It's a beautiful thing to talk about, but it doesn't stop there. There's a whole bunch of stuff to get into. Sports and beyond. Stay tuned. It's the Stephen A. Smith Show coming your way right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. Coming at you as I love to do at least every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, live over the airwaves of YouTube, of streaming and digital airwaves, that is. As always, I appreciate all the support that you all have given me, The most, and I especially appreciate the support, the support of our sponsor. We're here in this studio thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith show. By the way, make sure, because if you haven't noticed, my subscribers are just continuing to grow and grow and grow. Thank you all for the support. Can't start off any show without giving you all gratitude because I wouldn't be here if you didn't want me here. So thank you again. Keep that support coming. Make sure to subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith channel. Don't forget to click the bell to get notified about new content anytime it's coming up. And by the way, after every show, at the end of every show, rather, anytime you've got questions, it could be questions you post over social media on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook and beyond, stuff that you email, etc. Soon I'll be taking voice messages. I'll be taking live calls. All of that's coming down the pike in the, in the days and the weeks to come. But if you have any questions, ask your questions in the chat and I'll get to them at the end of the show, at least a few of them. So make sure that you do this, that. Congratulations to the Denver Nuggets. Congratulations to a team that drafted Nikola Jokic, who is a superstar and probably the best player in the world at this particular moment in time. Congratulations to a franchise that drafted Jamal Murray. Congratulations to a franchise that drafted Michael Porter Jr., that traded for Aaron Gordon, somebody who should have been a slam dunk champion as far as I'm concerned with the great slam dunks he did in the slam dunk contest on a couple of occasions. Okay, congratulations to all of them. Congratulations to Contavious Caldwell Pope. Won the championship with the the Lakers in the bubble helped win a championship this time in Denver, Colorado. It is that special. Congratulations to Mike Malone, who's an exceptional coach and proved it yet again. And believe it or not, congratulations to the owner, Stan Kroenke and Kroenke Sports and Entertainment. They own the, Col the Colorado Avalanche. They won a title over the last two years. They, they own the Los Angeles Rams of the National Football League. They won a Super Bowl championship, not this past season, but the season before. And of course, now the Denver Nuggets. That means in three different sports, they own three different teams that have won a championship over the last two years. You want to see what a winning model is all about. I know he's known for being fiscally responsible, which in some other people's eyes means that's, that he knows how to be cheap. But nevertheless, Cronky Sports and Entertainment 
is clearly getting it done. They know what a winning formula is because over the last two years, they've been doing it. Major props to them. I don't really have much to say else about the Denver Nuggets other than their team that played together, their team that played within themselves. Jokic is an unstoppable force. We all know the numbers that he produced overall um, in five NBA Finals games. He averaged 32, 14, and 7 on 58% shooting from the field, 42% from three-point range. Nobody else was in the same stratosphere. If you want to use that as an opportunity to talk about the Miami Heat, go get Damian Lillard. Go get somebody like that. I'm not sure that can happen. But the bottom line is Jimmy Butler is a star. He is big time. Nothing but love for this brother's game, his heart, and everything else. But there are levels to superstardom. And when you think about a LeBron James, a Steph Curry, okay, a Nikola Jokic, people like that, um, that's not the level Jimmy Butler is perceived as being on, even though he closes, even though the numbers are there, even though he plays on both sides of the ball. You're the Miami Heat. The best thing to do is to go get somebody who's very, very aggressive offensively, who's not deferential, who's not going to look for somebody else to shoot for the first 43 minutes of a game before he takes over in the last five. You got to be that dude. To be that marquee, you've got to be somebody that's front and center. So I think somebody like a Damian Lillard uh, with a – Jimmy Butler with a Bam out of bio, assuming uh, Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra go out there and get Bam out of bio some size so he doesn't have to be the one going up against that big boy that is Nikola Jokic. I think Miami would be right back in the mix. I think without that, Boston is a superior team in the Eastern Conference, even though Miami beat them. I believe Boston Celtics would have had a six or seven game series against the Denver Nuggets. I firmly believe that. Matchups and styles make fights. And Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, 6'9 and 6'6", respectively, with a guy like Robert Williams III, with a guy like Al Horford, with a defensive, tenacious individual like a Marcus Smart, a former reigning defensive player of the year, with guys like Derek Wright and that Malcolm Brogdon and those boys, I think they would have been a much better matchup for the Denver Nuggets, but they didn't earn the right to be there because they fell down 3 nothing to Miami, tied at 3-3, and then fell apart in Game 7 because Jason Tatum got hurt in the first offensive play of the game. I think Boston would have taken this series 6-7 to seven games. I think we'd still have an NBA Finals going on right now. Right now. If Boston was playing Denver. Because I think the series would have been six games minimum, if not seven. And the game six would have been this Thursday night. So, tomorrow night. So, props to the Miami Heat for handling their business and getting as far as they get got. They got a great, they had a great season. But in the end, it is what it is. I think the biggest basketball portion of this subject to peel from the NBA Finals is who's going to be the legit title contenders next year. I think easily it's Boston and Milwaukee. I got questions about Philadelphia because I don't know what's going to happen with James Harden. Even though you got Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey, the bottom line is when you look at the Philadelphia 76ers, it's going to be interesting to see what new coach Nick Nurse can get out of them that Doc Rivers couldn't. Boston, I don't think is going anywhere. They'll be in the mix. So will Milwaukee. Now that they got new coach Adrian Griffin, who, by the way, congratulations to him. He deserved the opportunity. He's been an assistant for about 15 years, previous five years at Toronto. I think Adrian Griffin is going to do a damn good job. I'm not saying that Bo, uh, Mike Budenholzer did not do it. He won a championship. Um, he averaged up like 57, 58 wins a season. I don't think anybody won more games than him during a regular season. But there does come a moment in time when it appears as your voice has been drowned out, when you appear exhausted from talking to the same dudes. And I think that combined with Chris Middleton not being what he once was, I look at Milwaukee and I got questions about them. I don't really have too many questions about Boston. I just don't. I just don't. 
And I'm always rooting for Miami because that is always where I prefer to be in June. And I'm not apologizing to that for anybody or for that to anybody. It ain't happening. I always love to be in Miami. Wish I could be in Miami right now. Wish I could live in Miami because they ain't got any state income taxes. And the weather's beautiful. And the palm trees. I can't even tell y'all. I'm just getting emotional right now. Think about it. I can't even tell y'all. Like, let me stop. There is a scenery that is unrivaled. That is true. But I'll stay focused. And I'll focus instead. Not on that scenery, I'll focus on that beautiful, warm breeze that's kicking off, you know, the ocean, Biscayne Bay. And that water from the Atlantic Ocean to the bay, to the land, and you're just laying outside and the water just hits you and it just does something to you. Just does something to you, okay? And I also, obviously, Prime 112, phenomenal restaurant. Always treats me well. Love Prime 112. I'll be back. But that other spot, off of Brickle, Komoto, Komodo, that's what it's called. My man Dale that works for the Miami, he told me to go there. My brother, as you would say when you text me, you ain't never lie. That place is off the chain. So there's two of my favorite spots that are there. But again, I digress. The real subject, basketball-wise, is who is going to challenge the Denver Nuggets? Is it going to be KD with Booker? Depends on what you get. You got a new coach there, and it depends on and, and, and Frank Vogel, who I think would do a good job, but they need help because they don't have enough bodies. Is it going to be the Los Angeles Lakers? Well, that depends on what help is provided to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Is it going to be the Clippers? I don't believe in them at all because I believe that Kawhi Leonard belongs in an infirmary. He's always hurt. Eventually, he'll be there. He's a great, great, phenomenal player and a two-time champion and a two-time NBA Finals MVP. But damn it, his nickname should be the infirmary. That's what it should be. He's always hurt, okay? And I believe he'll get hurt again. I believe he walks in a training camp hurt. Okay, so I don't believe in the Clippers anymore, all right? You got that going on. Got the Memphis Grizzlies. Y'all do know that suspension for John Moran is coming down the pike, don't you? Finals over. Any day now, Commissioner Adam Silver is going to announce how many days, how many games John Morant will be forced to miss because of playing around with guns that people reportedly have been saying was a toy gun. I want to hear that. And even if it was a toy gun, which I don't believe, the fact of the matter is, is the imagery, not the reality. It's the perception, not the reality that he is going to be condemned for because the NBA doesn't want to be associated with that kind of stuff. You don't like it, fine. Don't put your hand out to collect five years and $231 million in a contract. Don't use your status as an NBA superstar to parlay that into endorsement deals with Nike, Powerade, and others. You want to do that? There's a price that comes along with it. And I hear people talking all of this smack about capitulation, Stephen A, selling out to the white man or whatever. Well, who the hell's paying you? The fact of the matter is that in the world that we live in, whether it's white, whether it's Latino, whether it's some blacks, whatever the case may be, unless you're an entrepreneur, ownership, owning, owning rather your own business, you have to capitulate to the demands of those who pay you. I own this podcast. This is mine. I run this. Everybody associated with this podcast works for me. It's not the other way around, but I have a day job that pays me pretty damn well. 
And I'm here to tell you something right now. They don't have any jurisdiction over what I'm doing on this podcast, but I ain't stupid enough to ignore them if they want to have a conversation with me about something that I've said or something that I feel or whatever the case may be because I got a day job and I work for Disney. Now, it just so happens that I'm fortunate and blessed enough to have employers who have profound trust in me. And because of that trust in me that has been built over the course of 20 years, by the way, is why I was allowed to carve out a deal in my contract that allowed me to separate myself from ESPN to do this on my own. Had it not been for that, they wouldn't have allowed it because I would not have built any trust equity. And as a result, they wouldn't have wanted to take the risk of allowing me to be on my own. See how that works? Use your damn head. Exercise intelligence. Understand that this is what it comes with. And just suck it up and deal with it. Because at the end of the day, you want to cash a check with a smile on your face, not lamenting how minimal it is. It's not just about your talents. It's about trust. Trusting that you'll be responsible and considerate of others that you work with and that you work for. That's big boy rules. That ain't selling out. Always remember that, no matter what some fools out there try to tell you. Speaking of fools, did you see what happened in the aftermath of the Denver Nuggets winning the championship? There was a shooting that took place during the Denver Nuggets championship celebration. Nine people wounded. Nine people wounded. In the aftermath of the Denver Nuggets celebrating their first ever NBA championship, their first ever championship, because they lost in championship in the ABA. First ever championship, a shooting broke out. Jay, how many mass shootings were that this year? 341 mass shootings in the United States of America since January 1st. And y'all think we don't have a problem in the streets of America, in this society? Do you know that since January 1st, 2013, more than 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago to be exact, Do you know that there's been 5,476 mass shootings? Now, to those of you who don't know the definition of it, a mass shooting is where a minimum of four people have been either injured or killed in a shooting. Four people aside from the actual shooter themselves. It's been 5,476 since 2013. It's been 341 this year alone. We're not even a full six months in. And I know that's an excuse and people talk about, oh, that's the reason why we can't have the wild, wild west gun control, gun control. Well, yeah, but no, because I do understand those who are a bit reluctant to take that position because they say the bad guys always manage to get their hands on guns. But something clearly has to be done. I don't know what the hell the answer is. Something's clearly got to be done. And in this case, like I said, speaking of fools, as the police in Denver articulated, and I want to make sure I have this officer's name to be exact because I don't have his name in front of me at this particular moment. But he said something that I thought was very riveting. He said, 
forgive us, I'm paraphrasing, forgive us. But we never prepared for nor anticipated that a drug deal would be taking place during the championship celebration. That is what happened. They found fentanyl at the scene, along with guns, along with cash. It was a drug deal that took place. Drug deal gone bad. During the championship celebration, I guess those individuals thought they had cover because there's thousands upon thousands of people celebrating in the crowd. So I guess if you could sit up there and say, hey, man, you know what? We do a drug deal right here with the crowd around. Who, who could possibly bust us? But then you ended up shooting one another instead. Multiple people injured. And by the way, some of the people arrested were actual shooters. That's why I said, speaking of fools. Speaking of fools. Let me move on. Because one of the other things that I wanted to get into, I don't know this individual. He's a radio host. Um, I suppose at one time or another, Evan Roberts, um, that works in New York City doing radio, um, he's been critical of me in the past. See, I'm a big boy. Doesn't matter. I don't recall it. But even if he was, so what? That has nothing to do with the issue at hand. I just brought it up because I want to show you how fair-minded of a man I am. Last Friday, the Mets lost 13 to 10. And in losing 13 to 10, obviously the Mets continue to struggle this season. I've got a dear friend of mine. His name is Jeff Brown, lives in Los Angeles, California, He's from Queens, New York, uh, went to California about 30 years ago. And since that time, he's been back a grand total of five times. His attitude is you want to see him come out and see him. Why the hell does he need to come to New York? This is a vacation out here in Los Angeles with this weather. Why the hell would I go home? You need to come out and see me. I've called him a sellout because of that, because if you're a New York native, you're supposed to get back to New York more than five times in 30 years. But I digress. I'm looking at the New York Mets with a billionaire owner, Steve Cohen, who, by the way, grew up a Yankee fan. Um, This man is a billionaire. This man's got a lot of stuff that he brings to the table, obviously is willing to spend some dough. Um, And the New York Mets have stunk. They're 31 and 36 on the season as we speak today. They're nine and a half games out of first place trailing Philadelphia, Miami, and Atlanta in the National League East. Um, They're not the team that we saw last year during the regular season, even though they lost in the, in the postseason to the Padres, which I predicted would happen. But the cornerstones of their pitching staff, because pitching is practically everything in baseball, is Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. Two individuals who've won three Cy Young Awards in their career. And Evan Roberts called them pieces of crap. This was his quote. Because he felt their efforts were unacceptable um, in that loss to the Braves. He said the Mets spend $90 million on these two mercenary pieces of crap who've done nothing. Max Scherzer's pretended to do something because his overall numbers are good and he's had some really good starts. But think about what he did last year. Max Scherzer pitched well, missed a big chunk of time, and then when they needed him the most against the Atlanta Braves and then in the playoffs against the Padres, he wasn't bad. He was awful. Now, keep in mind, Evan Roberts is a radio host in New York. Keep in mind that the verbiage he used mirrors that and echoes that of many, many, many Mets fans. You're the media capital of the world. You're New York. I understand the Yankees are in the Bronx, but you're in Queens. You got a billionaire with deep pockets that ain't afraid to pay. Gave Francisco Lindor his money. Gave Scherzer his money. Gave Verlander his money. 
Alonzo will get his if he hasn't already. The list goes on and on. Buck Showalter certainly getting his money as a manager. You're supposed to be better than this. And the fact of the matter is they've sucked. Now, you can sit up there and get on Evan Roberts saying piece of crap. You know he was just being hyperbolic. You know he was just venting. And you know he was venting on behalf of New York Mets fans everywhere who continuously end up being depressed because they haven't won a World Series since 1986. And they got to the World Series in 2000, 2015. They lost. Lost to the Yankees in 2000. Sorry, not the World Series. They got to the NLCS. In 2015, we understand that. But I mean, my God, what kind of society are we living in? I mean, mean, really? And you got people like Andy Martino tweeting, it's apparently okay to refer to two human beings as being pieces of crap because due to inconsistent job performance. What have you said? about an athlete at a particular moment of frustration while you're sitting there and pouring your heart out, rooting for them and praying that they produce. Could he have said something better? Sure. Should he say something better in the future? Fine. But for this brouhaha to be corrected, to to, to be, you know, just fomented, just because the man said, you know, to two mercenary pieces of crap. Come on, y'all. Come on, y'all. It's it's hardly worthy of, 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 of going viral. I know I've said it's bad. I know many people have said it's bad, if not worse. Come on. I mean, the softness of sports fans, it's really getting on my last damn nerves. So it's a crime right now. If I sit up there and say right now at this point, they suck. They straight garbage. If I said that right now, I've said that on many occasions. I'm only talking about the moment right now and how their performance. I'm talking about their performance, not necessarily them as human beings. Anybody that knows anything about sports can deduce that. That's why we're going to get on Evan Roberts for something that that innocuous. Now you Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer and you want to have a problem with that, fine. Considering your resume, Verlander, Cy Young Award, 2011, 2019, just 2022. He's been a runner-up three times. So he's won the award three times, been a runner-up another three times, destined for the Hall of Fame, absolutely positively phenomenal. Scherzer, same thing, three Cy Young Awards, 2013, 2016, 2017. Did it ever occur to you that Evan Roberts was going off because getting those guys breeds expectations? If I remember correctly, Verland's getting about 38, 39 million. Scherzer's at about 43 million. That don't come with expectations. And when you don't live up with ex- to expectations, what do you want him to say? Well, they're just not very good right now. I really, really wish that they would play better. That's not how you do sports talk radio. That's not how you do sports talk radio. Stop. Last thing on the docket that I wanted to get into. With Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. Shannon Sharp said goodbye on FS1 to the show Undisputed. Immediately following the Denver Nuggets winning the championship on Monday night, he said goodbye Tuesday. That was his last day. I'll confess I was a bit surprised. 
I was surprised at the tears. I was surprised at the emotion. I'm quite sure some people out there thought it was fake as hell. I don't feel that way. I know Shannon Sharp a little bit. I've come to know him. I know Skip Bayless very well. Everybody on the planet associated with the world of sports knows how far Skip Bayless and I go back with one another. And I was really, to be honest with you, I was really proud at the way they ended their time together. Because you see, sometimes, no matter what it is that you're feeling, and again, I'm assuming, because I don't know, because I haven't talked to either one of them about this. I'm assuming that the feelings weren't everything that was expressed in Shannon Sharp's sign-off. Because in this business, you just don't see things happen that abruptly. You don't see a seven-year relationship on, on, on television, you know, where you were together every day for two and a half hours and then suddenly you hear that somebody's going and they're going to be bought out and then their day is it, it their time has come to an end literally the day after the NBA finals concludes but i got to tell you it could not have been handled any better by Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless when you depart in the world of business that's how you do it I've departed a few places. I haven't said much, but I damn sure didn't do it that well. Shannon brought up all the great points that he should have brought up. Because it's true. And there's nobody on the planet that can relate to what Shannon Sharp had to say to Skip Bayless better than me. And that is that Skip Bayless Gave him the chance. Shannon Sharp is never a part of Undisputed if it were not for Skip Bayless. Ever. Now, no matter what happened. And again, I don't know. The fact is, Shannon Sharp is a major player in this industry. He wasn't a major player in this industry when he was working on CBS. On the NFL today and ultimately departed from that. He wasn't a major player when he retired as a Hall of Fame tight end and three-time Super Bowl champion. But when he was on Undisputed and doing that for seven years, he became a very significant player in this industry. And I get to say that because I do first take every day and we've been number one for 11 and a half years. And all seven years, Skip Bayless has been gone. And that is not a reason for me to dismiss nor disrespect nor excoriate, vilify, insult or anything like that. Neither Shannon Sharp or Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless is my brother. No matter whether we talk or we don't talk or how often we talk or see each other or all that case may be. One of my best friends in the world is my boy, Pooley. 
Pooley and I are polar opposites. I think Beyonce is one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen on this planet. Pooley would look at her and say, what am I supposed to do with that? I need her to have at least an additional 150 pounds on her. She's entirely too small. Pooley's definition of beauty is Rasputia from those movies, Norbit. We are polar opposites. We don't hang out. We only see each other about twice a year. I've known him since I was one years old. I will never, ever in life tell you that I have a better friend than Rodney Cowan, a.k.a. Pooley. I don't have to be around him. I don't have to see him and I don't have to talk to him that much to have such a profound level of love in my heart for him that it will never change what he means to me. And in a professional atmosphere that we're talking about, that applies to Skip Bayless. Shannon Sharp was absolutely right to do what he did. Assuming nothing went wrong, perfect send away, perfect goodbye. Assuming something did go wrong, but he just didn't want to reveal that to anybody. It was great for him to think about the fact that Club Shay Shay and Undisputed and him being a pundit and an analyst and what have you and being a household name That doesn't happen if it was not for Skip Bayless. And I can relate because I'm sitting here with this podcast right now, feeding off my success and what I've been fortunate and blessed enough to achieve at ESPN and knowing that it starts with Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless brought me to first take, just like Skip Bayless brought Shannon Sharp undisputed now make no mistake skip and i've had our differences over the years hell we had differences recently we looked each other in the face we had a conversation about it and i wanted a few people that can look him in the face and cuss his ass out if it comes to that and he'll stand right there and listen to me because we go back that long and he knows that at the end of the day i know what he's done for me. And I've heard a lot of people, particularly from our community, be very, very critical of Skip Bayless. There's a lot of things that I don't like. I don't like Skip Bayless's position about Dak Prescott. I didn't like his position about Troy Aikman back in the day. I didn't like his positions about LeBron. I didn't like him fawning over Tim Tebow as much as he did. That's what disagreements are particularly in the world of sports and beyond. Some of the things he does ain't my cup of tea. But what I will never do is exactly what Shannon Sharp did not allow y'all to do, us to do. And that was utilize him to judge and excoriate Skip. Shocking as it may be to some of you, there's a whole bunch of brothers and sisters, black people, that Skip Bayless has helped out and looked out for. And I know people try to question his intent. I'm highlighting his results. There are people who have enjoyed a tremendous level of success in this business because Skip 
Bayless gave them a chance. I will always disagree with him on a case-by-case basis. We will fight sometimes. But I will never forget what he did for me. And I'm proud of Shannon Sharp that he didn't forget either. More to Stephen A. Smith show coming your way in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show. I want to transition to Mark Cuban, owner for the Dallas Mavericks of the National Basketball Association. Also, uh, one of the participants on Shark Tank, the widely popular show that's been on national television for years. When Mark Cuban talks about business, I listen. Mark Cuban knows what it takes to make money. Mark Cuban knows what it takes to be successful. Now, I know that there are people that are critical of him because they won the championship in 2011. Lost the championship in 2006 to Miami Heat, won it in 2011 against the Miami Heat again, with Dirk Nowitzki leading the way. Ultimately got to the Western Conference Finals last year with Luka Doncic as a star. Doncic. Um, before falling off a little bit this year, uh, trading Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, and others to ultimately acquire Kyrie Irving. That didn't work out. They missed the playoffs, missed the play-in, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Mark Cuban is somebody that I think is widely respected and should be. And there's nothing perfect in any of us and there's nothing perfect in him. But I like him and I respect the hell out of him. And I'm always going to try to be a supporter of his. I'm not sure. I'm not taking a position one way or the other. I'm just saying I'm not sure because it's a bit tricky with the position that he's taken in regards to Bud Light doing good business. Kind of strange. And I'm still trying to decipher it in my own head. At some point in time, I got to talk to him about this just to make sure I get some level of clarity. And of course, again, I'm a fan of Mark Cuban as a person and as a businessman and as a figurehead in the National Basketball Association. Because whether you like him or you can't stand him because you can't stand some of his obnoxious tendencies, particularly when he's going after the officials. The fact of the matter is he's good for the game. He's good for the league. He's good for the world of sports. He's good for television. He's a very, very interesting person. When they had issues within the Dallas Mavericks organization, he addressed it. Cynthia Marshall and her role with that franchise, she's a special lady. I'm a huge fan. Huge fan of hers. And I'm a fan of Nico Harrison as well, who's the head of basketball operations. And don't get me started with how I feel about Jason Kidd as a coach. I love Jason Kidd as a coach. Right man for the job. And believe it or not, as much as I despise Dallas Cowboy fans, because y'all make me sick, because y'all are the most disgusting, nauseating fan base on the planet Earth. Y'all could go one in 15. Your season could end on January 7th at 7 p.m. And by 7.15, you know, we're going to win the Super Bowl next year, right? Can't stand y'all asses. I just can't. Can't take y'all. One of my favorite photos is when you look on first take when I'm on ESPN and they show that picture of them crying. 
<laughs> and there's one or this sister that's looking at you. Y'all some sorry ass. You know what? That's what she's saying about it. That's the look on her face. Another girl is crying. Got her black mascara just streaming down her face crying. I love it. One dude was stupid enough to show up to a girl, to show up to the game without his girl. I'm talking about the loss to the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs. After everybody thought they were going to the Super Bowl, right? I'm talking about that. This dude is sitting there hugging, his, hugging a girl. She wasn't even his girl. His girl saw the photo of him with the other girl and dumped him. Because it, only, only, it only happened to a Dallas Cowboy fan. It only happened to a Dallas Cowboy fan, but I digress. My point is, despite having said all of that about the Dallas Cowboy fan base, I love the city of Dallas. I think the Dallas, I think Dallas is arguably the best city in the state of Texas. I do have to think about Austin, though. I have been to Austin. That is a special place. But I'm still going to say Dallas for the moment. Mark Cuban, back to him. There have been calls to boycott the popular beer light after their brief partnership with transgender social media star Dylan Mulvaney. The boycotts then sparked a conversation about just how involved major corporations should be in the political discourse. Billionaire and Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban gave an interesting take on the backlash, pointing out the clever business strategy of it all and that getting woke does not mean going broke. In an interview with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Cuban said, quote, people want to do business with companies that care about their customers. He later stated, there is a reason almost all the top 10 market cap companies in the U.S. can be considered woke. It's good business. And Edelman, a global PR marketing firm, argues the best way to end up on the shopping list of, of progressive Generation Z consumers over the next 10 to 20 years is to support issues near and dear to them, including LGBTQ rights and environmental causes. But this advice has come into question after demand for the popular beer to plummet. Over Memorial Day, for example, the backlash became so bad that people posted images of fully stocked shelves of Bud Light next to ads offering it for a steep discount. And Anheuser-Busch InBev, Bud Light's parent company, has lost about $20 billion from its market cap due to the negative press from the Mulvaney ad campaign. Cuban argues, you have to realize that there aren't many individual owners of stocks. Almost all ownership is via funds and most trading is quantitative. Most CEOs know, just wait out the news cycle until they go to the next one. He might have a, a point with that last mark, remark there. But $20 billion in losses is $20 billion in losses. Last time I checked, when are you getting that back? So that's where I would challenge his, his thinking in that regard. But it's also a very, very important point, and it just begs the question. Is it possible for us, and I'm just asking a question, is it possible for us to just shut the hell up? That in the world of business, we could keep our thoughts to ourselves. Is that possible? See, when we think about transgender, when we think about homophobia and other things, I'm not a proponent of any tri in any of any kind of prejudice. And I have a problem, particularly with any minority in this country, especially black people that are advocates of any kind of discriminatory behavior. Because we know personally what that feels like. We know what it's like to try and overcome that. We know how exhausting that can be. So 
I'm about equal rights and civil rights for all. I'm very liberal and progressive in that thinking. But I'm also a capitalist. I'm also about business. And if something compromises your bottom line, I think it should give you cause to pause and say, maybe, maybe, just maybe we should shut the hell up. If you but like, just sell beer. Now, some people would sit up there and they would say, hey, Stephen A., who the hell are you to say that? Especially because Disney got involved with the whole quote-unquote don't say gay bill in Florida. My response to that is, A, that's for the execs to handle, but B, and more importantly, don't be stupid. A corporation doesn't speak for every individual that works under that umbrella. You don't know what 99% of the people working under the Disney umbrella believe. You have no clue. And to assume just because a company feels that way that the people that get a check from them feel that way is ignorant. Because I'm quite sure. And not only is it ignorant, it's, it's really fake. Because you can't tell me, any of you out there who gets a check from a boss and gets a check from an employee, you can't tell me with a straight face that you believe every single thing your boss believes or the company you work for believes. But you have a job to do, you perform that task, you get paid for, you call it a day. I got people renovating stuff in my house or my apartment. Oh, so they believe everything I believe. They harbor every sensitivity I harbor. I wouldn't know. I never asked. What I asked for this was for this skill set to provide me with the service I need to upgrade my quality of life in whatever way I'm paying them to do that. Simple. That's where we get in trouble as a society. When we act like we don't know better. That's some fake ass shit to do. And I don't fall for it. Mark Cuban might have a point. Then again, he might not. There's a few CEOs I need to talk to about the position he took. Because I don't know how accurate that particular sequence is. Because when you talk about the LGBTQ community and various other communities, and you're talking about wanting to be sensitive and showing that you care about their customers, well, my attitude is, what about the people who would classify themselves as anti-woke? How are we sure that the numbers of the woke populace outnumbers the woke, the, the populace of the anti-woke populace? How do we know that? It's all a numbers game, right? It's all a numbers game. It reminds me, believe it or not, of folks voting. They bloviate and talk and stick out their chest and act like they're against something. We don't know what the hell they do when they go behind those curtains and pull that lever for whatever candidate they pull it for. I'm with you, Stephen A. Black people, LGBTQ plus people, all of you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, how the hell did Trump get 75, 74 plus million votes? Were all of you telling the truth? Or did you just tell folks what they wanted to hear? I'm with you! I see you protesting in the streets! I saw George Floyd get murdered! We're with you! We're with you! We're listening! We hear you! 
Well, then why has all this noise resurfaced? Why do we have millions of people in the streets lamenting the sensitivity that has been thrown in the direction of minorities in various communities throughout this country? Because they feel we've gotten too sensitive at their expense and that we care too much. How is that possible? While at the same time you're listening and you hear the cries and the concerns. Could it be that you were just lying your ass off all along? That you were just saying what you were saying so the noise would quell and dissipate? And that you really wouldn't have to be concerned about such matters when all was said and done? Isn't that what really is going on? It's a rhetorical question because you know the answer. Just know that I know it too. One more segment coming your way to close out the show. You're listening live to the Stephen A. Smith Show. Back with more in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline Until I flatline, I push it to the red line Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show Right here on YouTube Thank you for joining me as well I see thousands of you um, in the chat room I see over 10,000 of you have been viewing it live I really, really appreciate it Appreciate the support We continue to climb Again, it doesn't happen without you I wouldn't be here if you didn't want me here. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, Obviously, I love having the opportunity to talk about sports items with you that you may not see me talking about all the time on sports television, plus things that transcend the world of sports, because there's a lot of interest that I have that be that extend beyond those corridors. That's why I'm always encouraging you to make sure to subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith channel. Don't forget to click the bell to get notified about new content as well. Uh, So, again, thank you, um, as always. Before I get on out of here, <clears throat> stay with me, please, on this. Because, you know, see, people scared to address these subjects. I am not. <sighs> I don't mind breast. I know. Breasts are a very, very beautiful thing. Lots of men love them. Lots of women love having them. And now we see men who like having them too, or, you know, I'm not getting all of that. But me personally, breast on a woman, on a woman, is a very, very beautiful thing. I must confess, it just is, okay? And I just think it's important to say that. Having said that, there's a time and a place for everything. I remember years ago, people were appalled because obviously, you know, uh, uh, we've seen uh, Michael Sam, for example, former NFL player, former star at the University of Missouri, big time NFL, um, big time football player, rather, on a collegiate level. People thought he was going to make some noise in the NFL. Didn't quite work out that way. Oh, but he had come out 
acknowledging that he was a homosexual and that he was going to be, uh, he was going to enter the NFL. Obviously, he showed up to the ESPY Awards and stuff like that. And, you know, with his significant other. And, uh, uh, you know, he was very affectionate. And they were very affectionate with each other. And so I had gone on to the air. And people were appalled because I said, get a room. And they tried to sit up there and act like it was something homophobic. And I said, excuse me. That applies to everybody. Me included. You included. We don't need to see all that. I said it and I meant it. Because my attitude is, just as much as I like breast, I like sex too. But I'm not going to do all of that in front of everybody. That's just me. To each his own. It's not a crime to show affection publicly and stuff like that. But it's just something that I kind of refrain from doing in an excessive fashion. Because I think that there are doors and there's privacies for a reason. I mean... There's a lot of people out here that like porn. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. But you got to click on it or rent it or buy it to watch it. You don't see it in the streets. I would know. I happen to have been in the presence of them while I was at restaurants before. I wasn't porn star Jimmy. I didn't show, I didn't go out on a date. I've never known a porn star, but I've met while I was in a restaurant. I was in Catch one time. I saw a porn star sitting across from the table. How would I know? Because, damn it, I watched porn back in the day. A little bit of it. In my younger years, it didn't bother me to see that from time to time. And I happened to recognize that person. Another time, a friend of mine was with a porn star and introduced me. I said, hello, how are you? Very nice to meet you. Goodbye. That's all I did. I didn't do porn star, Jimmy. Hell, I didn't do it. I, I just didn't do it. Because that's not how I roll. But my point in saying what I'm saying is that there's a time and a place for everything. And yes, we live in a society right now where people are more emboldened and freewheeling and they, they got their confidence about them and they don't mind coming out with whatever it is they coming out with. I understand it. But there's a time and a place for everything. Hell, some of us are freaks. We like to get it on. Some of you out there like to do freaky dicky stuff. But you can't just do it everywhere. Can't do it in the streets. Can't do it in public facilities, public restaurants. Hell, if you were just pulled over on the side of your road and you was getting loose in your car, the cops still might pull up on you and tell you, get the hell out of here. You know what they'll tell you? Go home, get a room. It's not for everybody to see. And that is where I'm going. When I bring up Rose Montoya, a trans model and activist who decides 
that while she's at the White House, because the Biden administration was honoring Pride Month, she going to show up and on the White House lawn going to show her titties on a weekday afternoon. I mean, come on. Come on now. Reading from the story here, the White House said a transgender model would be banned from future events due to, due to photos and videos she took topless on a property South Lawn during a Pride Month celebration this past Saturday. Rose Montoya, a trans model and activist, was among hundreds invited by the Biden administration to mark Pride Month. Montoya then shared a video from the event on Instagram that features a clip of her standing in front of the White House topless and covering her nipples with her hands. I believe we have that video, Jay, if I remember correctly. Don't keep my audience waiting. Show it to them. Welcome to the White House. Thank you. <laughs> Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Year. Happy Pride Life. Yeah. Transgender children. You are beautiful. You are heard. You belong. You're understood. You are loved. And you belong. Yeah. Some of the bravest and most inspiring people I've ever known. And I mean, I'm you're welcome. Good folks. Can we take a little video? Hi, Mr. President. It is an honor. Trans rights are human rights. Gay news. It's so damn Are we topless at the White House? So you're on a White House lawn. With the White House in the backdrop as the backdrop. And that enticed you to show your titties. Really? Really? You see, this is the kind of stuff that I'm talking about here, okay? Now, listen to her explanation. She defended her actions on Tuesday, saying she was, quote, living her truth and wasn't trying to be vulgar or profane. Well, if that was the case, why didn't you just show up with your titties out as you rolled up to the White House? You know why you didn't do it? Because you know they wouldn't have let you in. Which means you were fully aware of the fact that it was inappropriate to do what you did. You just didn't care. And at the end of the day, at some point in time, people are going to learn that excessive acts is what ultimately is going to get in the way of the progress you seek. Because you're so busy wanting to be flamboyant, that ain't living. That's stuffing it in people's face. What you going to do next? Walk down 7th Avenue in New York with your breast out? What you going to do next? Not care that there's kids around while you do it? What's next? What's to stop you? Where's the decorum? And her statement that I would like to say going topless in Washington, D.C. is legal and I fully support the movement of freeing the nipple. When was the nipple incarcerated? 
I'm sorry. Is there anything that y'all know of? I've never heard of the nipple being incarcerated. I understand it being, you know, covered for public consumption. Nobody stops you from unveiling it once you get into the privacy of your own home or the privacy of a bathroom. Or if you went to see your man or your woman or whatever, and y'all decided to get loose and get freaky dinky. I mean, nobody stopped you from showing it then. When was the titty incarcerated? Because you see, people making stuff up now. People making stuff up now. I want to know when was the titty incarcerated? When did that happen? What law was enacted that imprisoned the breastuses? That's what I want to know. I'm not aware. I'm not aware. I've been seeing breast all of my life. I was breastfed by my mama out of the womb. And after that, once I grew up and I started to engage in sexual activities, which now spans about 40 years, now 38, 38, 38 years. I've been seeing breasts all my adult life since I was 17. I have never, ever encountered the incarceration of breasts. I've never had to go to a prison to see breasts. I've never had to sit up there and check and because and, and found out permission to see the breasts. I've never seen it. I don't know what y'all talking about. I don't have a clue at all. So why are you saying free the nipple? Last point. She said going topless in Washington, D.C. is legal. Yes, ma'am. And I'm assuming it's a ma'am. They're saying that it's a she. That's why I'm saying I'm not trying to be disrespectful. That is true, but you left out one very important fact. The White House is federal grounds. Washington, D.C. is not. Your point would have been valid if you were in the streets of Washington, D.C. But the second you stepped on the White House lawn, you were in violation of federal laws. It's not legal. On the White House lawn, which is why the White House spokesperson said Tuesday, quote, this behavior is inappropriate and disrespectful for any event at the White House. It is not reflective of the event we hosted to celebrate LGBTQI plus families or the other hundreds of guests who were in attendance. They're not going to make a federal case out of this. They're not going to throw you in jail or anything like that. But it is clear that it was inappropriate and disrespectful. Rose Montoya. The cause and the movement and the attention and the significance and substantive points that the LGBTQI plus community is trying to bring to the equation are things you threaten to compromise by simply getting raw. And by the way, Stop lying.
the titty is not incarcerated. It's free as a bird. Plenty of human beings on this planet Earth confirm that every minute, every hour, and every day of their lives. Moving on. Pat Sajak, major, major props to him. Y'all don't know him. He's the host of the famous show Wheel of Fortune that he's been doing for 40 years. He's announced that uh, this will be his last season. He's going to retire. Major props to him. He's made that show household. My mother loved Wheel of Fortune. Loved Wheel of Fortune. She really, really did. And so did I. I want to throw my name into the hat. I ain't trying to give up my day job. I ain't trying to give up my podcast. But I got to tell you, if Wheel of Fortune called to ask me to host the show for, for, for a couple of days, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind hosting that show while folks try to figure out what those letters mean and what it equates into. Vanna White, according to reports, she thinks that she's going to be on the way out to do it too. But that's not a negative, Vanna. You're synonymous with Pat Sajak. You're synonymous with him. It's okay. You know, if it were me hosting it, uh, you know, I like Vanna a lot. But I wouldn't mind making good turning those letters. Sinai Lathan turning those letters. Wouldn't bother me. Wouldn't bother me. I said, you need me to repeat the names? Megan Good, Sinai Lathan? Yes, I said it. Wouldn't mind them turning the letters. I think they'd get your ratings. I do. They'd have my ratings. Let me go to the questions. So before I get on out of here, Jose Segura, he writes, hey, Esteban. That's what he said, Esteban. What does Miami have to do in order to land Dame, uh, Dame Tom, as in Damian Lillard, the Portland Trailblazers? Probably move. Um, hero. Maybe a Gabe Vincent or Max Struess. I mean, you can give away Max Struess after the way he played in the NBA Finals. Two games, he went scoreless. Shot like 16% from three-point range. 16 to 18%. Couldn't even average double digits at starting shooting guard. You can give him away. I like him, but boy, did he not show up in the Finals. I would tell you him, Tyler Hero, Gabe Vincent, somebody like that, about two or three picks. I think that's what it would take. As long as you don't lose Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, you do what it takes to get Damian Lillard. That's just me. Elijah, he writes, do you think the Pelicans should trade Zion for Julius Randle? As disgusted as I am with Julius Randle, I wouldn't give Julius Randle up for Zion because at least Julius Randle shows up to work. I would remind you that Julius Randle played the first 77 games for the New York Knicks before he twisted his ankle. He doesn't miss many games. He shows up to work all day, every day. And I might have been disgusted with his lack of production, but I appreciate his hard work, his dedication, and the fact that he's reliable and dependable. Zion Williamson ain't even 25, and he's hurt more than than senior citizens. I mean, he gives new meaning to our fallen and I can't get up when it comes to basketball. I mean, damn. That Zion is a great player when healthy and on the court. The problem is those last two parts, when healthy and on the court, is so damn rare. I can't give a guy that's a workhorse and a workman who is the epitome of reliability 
that goes all out every single night like a Julius Randle. I can't talk about moving him for Zion. I love Zion's game. And by the way, to his daddy, I love his character as well. He's a good kid. Nobody's knocking him. He's just having fun and all of that stuff because of the predicament he found himself in in social media. But we know he's not a bad kid. All that lecture in the public wasn't necessary, Mr. Lee. But I'm not giving up Randall for Zion because I know that Julius Randall's going to show up to play. I've watched Zion Williamson miss entirely too many games and worse, look too damn comfortable doing it. I'm sorry, I'm not there. Deion Jefferson writes, Yo, Steve, I prefer Stephen A, by the way, from people like you. You mentioned in the past you'd be a great district attorney. You think you could handle the Trump case, meaning conviction? Thanks. Peace and love. That's a real interesting question. I can't summarily dismiss your question because it's about being able to convince 12 jurors to see your way. And in this day and age, truth doesn't nearly matter. It's partisanship. If you support a dude, to you, anything that goes against him favors the other side. So the truth doesn't matter to you as a partisan thinker so much as making sure that the other side doesn't benefit from whatever decision you make. That's the problem with our politics. Basically, ladies and gentlemen, we can slice it any way we want to, but the election is coming down to a 78-year-old man on the right, unless he goes to jail, against an 82-year-old dude, unless he decides not to run for re-election. On the right side, I'm rooting for somebody like Chris Christie. On the left side, I wish Hillary was running. I wish Michelle Obama was running. I wish Bob Iger was running, the head of Disney, because I believe in that man. I just think he's the greatest executive I've ever seen. But that's me. But to answer your question directly, I'd have a tough time getting Trump convicted. I mean, I know this stuff looks really, really bad because you can't be taking files um, that weren't necessarily declassified to your resort at Mar-a-Lago and putting them in bathrooms. I don't give a damn that you got 11 different bathrooms on your estate. These national security files, if they're telling the truth. This is top secret stuff. As a president, you got to know you can't do that. And if he had just given it back to them and be caught and had cooperated like they asked him to. Instead of politicizing everything and highlighting how they raided your home and all of this other stuff, it wouldn't have come to this. So I got to fault Trump for that. But that doesn't mean he's guilty of what they're saying he's guilty of. The facts will tell us that. At the end of the day, as potent of a district attorney as I believe I would be, for example, and I've said this to my friend who guy who guys become my friend, Carl Douglas. He was second or third chair during the OJ trial working under Johnny Cochran. That Carl Douglas, if I remember correctly, second or third chair, if I misquoted, I'm, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. But he's a lawyer. 
knows what the hell he's doing. Highly intelligent brother, guy that I'm very fond of and I communicate with from time to time. And he once called me on my radio show that I had back in the day to check me because I said if it was me going up against Johnny Cochran instead of Marsha Clark or, 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 or I forget the brother's name. Please forgive me for doing that. I just got brain lock right now. Who's it? Christopher Darden? I think so, right? Let me tell you something. Ain't no way in hell Johnny Cochran would have beat me with that evidence. I'd have never put that glove on OJ's fist, on his hand. I would have known that he took medication. um, And then when he doesn't take medication, your fists swell up. I would have assumed that the blood that was on the glove would have dried up and shrunk the glove to some degree. He wouldn't have been in a position to say, if it doesn't fit, you must have quit. Johnny Cochran wouldn't have pulled that off on me. Oh, hell no. I'd have got OJ's ass. He'd have been under the damn cell. I'm trying to tell you, I'd have got him. And then Douglas, that's how Carl Douglas and I met. He was like, you would not have beat Johnny Cracker. I said, of course not. I'm not a lawyer. I was saying if I was a lawyer, if I was in that profession, I would have known what I knew about the law. And as a result, with that preponderance of evidence, I would have beaten Johnny Cochran, the late, great Johnny Cochran. God rest his soul. One of the great, iconic law figures of our time. I would have beat him because of that evidence. I would have brought up OJ. Yeah, you know she was doing, you know, you heard the reports about her doing her thing. You know, she was watching you in the bush. You was watching her in the bushes, spying on her. And that crime of rage, the way that she was killed. And I don't make a joke of that because she was murdered. And Ronald Goldman was murdered and my heart goes out. I, I, I am a sympathetic figure to Mr. Fred Goldman. That man loved his son. And I will never knock him for the position that he took against OJ. I don't blame him one bit. But I would have known about that jealousy stuff about OJ and the things that he did and the way that he treated Nicole Brown. So I'd have been all over that. That if it doesn't fit, you must have quit. That wouldn't have worked with me. I'd have got his ass. But that's me. This with Trump, different animal. Because even if the facts say everything you needed to say as a prosecutor. If you're a partisan individual who's thinking about what Trump is saying, it's a witch hunt. It's all been politicized. This is just their way of interfering with the election and trying to stop me from winning the presidency back. If you're a partisan juror and you feel that way, regardless of what facts I show you, it won't matter. So I'd have to tell you that it would all depend on the jury selection. That's just my thinking, assuming that it's a jury at all, as opposed to the judge just wanting to hear the case without a jury, which I think is a judge's right. I don't know. I really don't know. I haven't looked that deep into it. But that's just where I'm coming from with it. No, I don't know if I would win this case. But great question. I love questions like that. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Got to get on out of here. 
want you to make sure to subscribe to the Stephen A. Smith channel. Don't forget to click the bell to get notified about any new content that I'm doling out there. I'll be back on Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern time live right here on YouTube channel. Love the fact that my subscribers continue to grow. Love the facts that my views per episode continue to grow. Love the support that all of y'all are giving me. I really appreciate it. And regardless of what I've accomplished and what I've been fortunate and blessed enough to achieve, I know that it could not have happened without people like y'all supporting me every day. So I thank you. And like I said, the more you keep coming, the more I'm going to keep coming. Come hella high water. That's how I roll. I love vibing with all of y'all. I hope y'all love vibing with me too. Until next time, everybody. Peace and love. I'll let you later. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.